emanating from www.michaelnimmons.com. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. This is Michael Eric Dyson. This is Rochelle Riley, straight out of Detroit. This is Dr. Victoria Dooley at Dr. Dooley MD. What up, everybody? It's your boy, comedian Jay Stevens. This is Frederick D. Haynes III. I am Justin Coates, an author and anti-bullying activist. I am Pam Perry. Hey, everybody. This is Rochelle V. Mann, CEO of Man Made Productions. This is Bree Diane, international evangelist. Hey, this is Candace Pretty Strange Smith. And what's up? This is Ty Scott King. I was cracking Planet Earth. It's your boy Griff, comedian, author, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, philanthropist, but a Jesus Christ lover. You understand me? And you're listening to Thinking Out Loud Radio with my homeboy, Michael Nemeth. Check him out right here. Go ahead, Mike. Give him that good, good. I want you to give a warm Thinking Out Loud Radio Show welcome to Emmy Award winning WXYZ Channel 7 anchor woman and new friend of the show, Miss Carolyn Clifford. Well, thank you, Michael, and what a nice introduction. So happy to be here. You know what I've got to do. i got to check out my man, Michael Nimmons, who is handling his business as he drops that knowledge. I like that because Frederick Douglass, for whom I'm named, says that knowledge unfits us for slavery. Truth sets us free. If you want to be free, you want to be like Mike. Check out the best radio show online. You're locked in right now to our listening. You're tuned into the... And without thinking about it, guess what? I'm thinking out loud right here on a Thinking Out Loud radio show. And if you want to stay in the know, you better be listening to Thinking Out Loud radio show. You're listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Check out Thinking Out Loud. Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thinking Out Loud radio show. Don't you dare touch that dial. The Thinking Out Loud radio show with Michael Nimmin. Featuring author, motivational speaker, and minister, Michael Nimmin's. Minnesota to London, England, from New Zealand to New York City. Black Lives Matter and I Can't Breathe are the sentiment of people around the world. Dr. King was right. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We must do everything we can to continue to march, protest, and rally for justice. Let us march on until victory is won. An important message from the Thinking Out Loud radio show.
be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on stag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from the Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on the court from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still lights of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on Search for Tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry R. Women Liberationist and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Key, nor sung by Glenn Campbell. Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or the rare earth, the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And I'm your host, author, motivational speaker, and minister, Michael Nimmons. And you're tuned in to the show that's giving voice to issues that matter to you. Uh, I'm sure you guys are familiar with uh, the spoken word piece by Gil Scott Haran. The revolution will not be televised. We thought we would open the show with that on tonight powerful spoken word piece uh, recorded back in the 1970s uh, by Gil Scott Haran, a poet and jazz musician uh, done uh, as a um, uh, a part of, you know, the black power movement in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, his lyrics mention or allude to several television series, advertising slogans and icons of entertainment and news coverage that serves as examples of what the revolution will not be or do. 
we thought we would open with that powerful piece on tonight because the title of tonight's show, or the theme of tonight's show is The Revolution Will Be Televised because uh, what we have been seeing in the 20th uh, 21st consecutive day of protests and demonstrations uh, because of the aftermath of the uh, brutal death of George Floyd um, is that this revolution has been televised, has and will be televised. It's been all over social media, it's been on television, and we have been able to see it, and many of you have even participated in it. And so uh, we all have uh, been a part of this revolution in some way, the change that is and will be coming uh, because of it. So uh, that is why we decided to uh, open the show with that powerful piece, spoken word piece done again by uh, poet and, uh, and spoken word artist Gil Scott Haran. Tonight, as you all know, those that are listening on tonight, we have been uh, promoting this particular interview all week uh, with noted scholar, uh, professor, and author of The Sword and Shield, The Revolutionary Lives of Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., Dr. Peniel Joseph. So happy uh, to have been able to interview him. He has um, uh, been all over uh, the news media and on mainstream commercial TV and uh, news outlets being interviewed uh, regarding what's happening uh, in America right now. Uh, and I'm so uh, honored to have uh, been able uh, to uh, have some time to spend with this uh, noted scholar and author and to talk about his latest book, The, the Sword and the Shield. And uh, we had a great conversation. We uh, plan to share part one of this conversation during tonight's show. And again, I'm so very happy that you tuned in uh, to the Thinking Out Loud radio show to be a part of our 160th edition. This is our 160th episode. I can't believe it either. Uh, you know, it'll be three years in August and uh, we have been doing this and uh, we really enjoy being able to speak truth to power, uh, use this platform to uh, not only talk about politics, race, but religion, about uh, empowerment, Christianity, uh, popular culture and uh, the like on uh, the Thinking Out Loud radio show. And we appreciate each and every one of you that tune in each and every week and listen to us on this podcast. Again, you can listen to our podcast all across the major podcasting networks. Uh, of course, you can also listen to us on our website, michaelnemons.com. Just go uh, there and click the podcast uh, menu option on the homepage and there you'll be able to listen to our 160 episodes that are archived right from our website. Uh, so, Guys, we are so very excited again about tonight's show and uh, bringing to you part one of this amazing interview with Dr. Pinnell Joseph. Again, remember, you can follow us on all the social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, on Facebook at Facebook.com forward slash Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. Uh, you can also uh, add us on Instagram and Twitter at TOL Radio Host MSN and subscribe to our YouTube channel at uh, YouTube.com forward slash Thinking Out Loud TV. 
we're going to be posting our interview with Dr. Uh, Peniel Joseph on our newly rebranded Thinking Out Loud TV YouTube channel as well. So guys, we've got a lot of great things coming uh, down the pike with the Thinking Out Loud radio show, and we hope uh, that you will uh, follow us, add us, and subscribe to the podcast and to our YouTube channel because we've got a lot of content that we're going to be sharing with you in just a few weeks. So uh, stay tuned for that. Uh, also, during tonight's show, our thought of the week, we're calling it the tipping point, and we're going to be sharing our thoughts about uh, what has been going on, again, the 21st consecutive day of demonstration and protest, not just here in the United States, uh, but around the world. So, guys, um, I'm, I want to share with you what I'm thinking about and what my thoughts are about uh, what's been going on and what is taking place and this moment that we are in uh, for tonight's thought of the week so you have to stay tuned for that as well well guys we've got a great show in store for you and uh, again i'm so thankful that you tuned in to another edition the 160th edition of the thinking out loud radio show and on tonight as we head into commercial going to play a song for you entitled Black Lives Matter from Brody Da Vinci came across this song on SoundCloud shouts out to him powerful song want to share that with you during tonight's show when we come back guys we're getting right into our interview with Dr. Peniel Joseph author of The Sword and the Shield you don't want to go anywhere you're tuned in to one of the hottest radio shows online it's the Thinking Out Loud radio show where Black Lives Matter check it out Matter ain't a slogan or a movement. Nah. And if all lives matter, then we wouldn't have to use it. Facts. If you want to end the protest, then go out there and protest. Cause that don't mean that you support the riots and the looting. They say keep it peaceful, homie, just like Martin Luther King. But when Colin Kaepernick did that, y'all kicked him out the league. Plus, they shot Mr. King out in Memphis, Tennessee. And complying with the police doesn't keep him safe, it seems. I don't want to wear my homie's face on a shirt cause he dead. So I'll display that his life matters on one instead. And I'll be downtown on them courthouse steps with a picket sign chanting while I raise my fist and yes I understand that I will never understand cause a white man's hand still got blood on a man I may have never owned a slave or been a part of the clan but just admitting there's a problem doesn't give us a plan I'm saying black lives matter black lives matter we ain't saying yours don't I'll tell you what we is after what it is wanna jog wanna live wanna breathe so you hear what I'm saying or you gonna turn the other cheek black lives matter don't shoot they can't breathe things supposed to change when they down on their knees every time they turn around it's like hands up up freeze truth be told racism really a disease george floyd we understand he was a criminal why you choose to ignore the real problem in the principle that to me screams over top of all your claims you're not a racist because it starts to sound very much subliminal i should have known by your side on the fight you care more about a flag than a black man's life you'll believe the statistics when they back your side but it's fake news when the truth and your opinions collide it's all trump 2020 and the police in the right and blue lives matter cool it's fine to have white pride but if I say black lives matter, then I'm racist. Why they killing black people and hardly detain rapists? You gotta be real, real stupid or real clueless to not see a problem with killing unarmed humans. But a white man runs up in a church or a school and he's put behind bars unharmed, though he's shooting. He shoot. Black lives matter. Black lives matter. We ain't saying yours. Don't I'll tell you what we is after. What it is. Wanna jog. Wanna live. Wanna breathe. So you hear what I'm saying or you gon' turn the other cheek. Uh, black lives matter. Don't shoot. They can't breathe. breathe. Thanks 
supposed to change when they down on their knees Every time they turn around it's like hands up freeze Truth be told racism really a disease I've lost friends, my family disagrees But I'ma stand up for the rights of all people I've never been oppressed, enslaved, been made a target But I'ma be a part of the change and try my hardest I'm scared for my brothers and sisters of color Why y'all hate them for their skin but embrace their culture Why it traffic stops the cops gotta treat them rougher We really need to break it down, the police need restructure And all police ain't bad, yo I hear you I swear But when the bad ones act up, the good ones ain't there And how them people with the cameras gonna force them to stop When abuse of their authority is legal for cops It takes one law passed to really make a change But the people in high places wanna keep them in chains Why it take a protest for them to make an arrest I'd rather burn the country down than see a knee in their necks we ain't saying yours gone, I'll tell you what we is after What it is, wanna jog, wanna live, wanna breathe So you hear what I'm saying or you gon' turn the other cheek huh? Black lives matter, don't shoot, they can't breathe Things supposed to change when they down on their knees Every time they turn around it's like hands up freeze Truth be told, racism really a disease Listening to the Thinking Out Loud Radio Show with Pastor Michael Nimmons. Don't you dare touch that dial. Stephanie D. Sanders, award-winning singer, songwriter, author, voiceover artist, and more. Heard on shows like the Time Join the Morning Show and the Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. Book Stephanie D. Sanders to voice over your podcast or radio intros or commercials. Do yourself a favor and visit stephaniedsanders.com and upgrade your podcast or radio show by booking Stephanie D. Sanders. You'll definitely be glad that you did. Black to the bone, to the core, to the root. I am to America a very strange fruit. Born from a tree nearly wilted from its traps Into a world content with racial labeling and criminal profiles I search for truths that have been withheld from books produced to tell history And it's a mystery how they miss me or people like me When our backs were broken from building this country And our hands were calloused from sowing seeds upon which men and women would bleed and still not be freed for another 300 years. I believe some mothers still cry those slaves' tears. Cause fear and anger run deep and get passed down through generations like heirlooms. And in the heirlooms, the stench of discrimination as this nation falls deeper into complacency, denying black beauty and black pride. Black lives really do matter. Here on the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Who told you that you were naked? Who told you that you were insufficient? Who told you that you were a loser? told you that you were a failure? Who told you that you were deficient? Who told you that you were nothing? 
Who told you that you were worthless? Who told you that you had no value? Who told you that you get you to believe? Who told you that you were naked? It's a dynamic, empowering, and inspiring book about identity that is a definite must-have. Pastor Nimmons talks about an identity crisis that dates as far back as the Garden of Eden. You don't want to miss these powerful insights into not just the problem of this identity crisis, but the discovery of the spiritual solution. Get your copy now, available on Amazon for just $14.95 or by visiting michaelnemons.com. Like a victim when you are already victorious. Stephanie D. Sanders, award-winning singer, songwriter, author, voiceover artist, and more. Heard on shows like the Time Join the Morning Show and the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Book Stephanie D. Sanders, the voiceover your podcast or radio intros or commercials. Do yourself a favor and visit stephaniedsanders.com and upgrade your podcast or radio show by booking Stephanie D. Sanders. You'll definitely be glad that you did. You're tuned in to the Think Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked, keep it locked, keep it locked. Well, everybody, we are back, and certainly we're so very happy to have a very distinguished gentleman with us on the line uh, on our newly rebranded YouTube channel, Thinking Out Loud TV. I'm so happy to have. Uh, this uh, distinguished professor and author with us on today. I want to, uh, before we jump into this interview, I want to give him a proper introduction. Um, he is uh, joint, holds a joint professorship appointment at the LBJ School of Public Affairs as the Barbara Jordan Chair in Ethics and Political Values and Professor of History in the College of Liberal Arts at the University of Texas at Austin. He serves as the founding director of uh, the LBJ School Center for the Study of Race uh, and Democracy, a frequent national commentator on issues of civil rights, race, and democracy. He's the author of several award-winning books, numerous op-ed essays on civil rights, mass incarceration, Black Lives Matter, presidential history, and social justice. I want you to give a warm Thinking Out Loud radio show and TV welcome to new friend of the show, Dr. Pernell Joseph. Welcome to the Thinking Out Loud radio show, Dr. Joseph. Oh, thank you, Brother Michael Simmons. I, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. And we really appreciate having you on the show on tonight. And um, as I said, as we were talking earlier, I really and truly enjoyed uh, your book. I uh, just completed it, actually. And it's the first one that I've, uh, uh, that I've re- I, I didn't actually read it. I heard, I listened to it. It was an audible <laughs> book. Because <laughs> normally I list, I read all my books, and and uh, but this is the first time I really wanted to uh, just sit down and internalize it in a different way. And I have to say that I, I was truly um, uh, moved by it, impressed by it, and I'm really uh, interested in, in getting into it uh, on tonight. Okay. So my first question, um, uh, Dr. Joseph, uh, deals with. Um, uh, was probably a question that you've you've heard, as we said, you know, you were telling me how you've been really busy uh, here lately because of what's been happening around us. But I want to start here. Your book, The Sword and Shield, 
um, the revolutionary lives of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X is primarily written from a historical perspective related to both the lives of Dr. King and Malcolm X and how they intertwine. In light of the recent events taking place in our nation with the brutal murders of Ahmaud Arbery, Rihanna Taylor, Sean Reed, George Floyd, and countless others, black men and women that have fallen victim to this deadly virus of racism and police brutality, I want to know from you, what do you think Dr. Dr. King and Malcolm X's approach will be to handling these two deadly viruses of uh, uh, that we're dealing with today, racism and police brutality in America? Yeah, no, Brother Michael, and I would add um, the COVID-19. COVID-19, absolutely, yes. And, and Those virus, three. Yeah, the virus of white supremacy. I think that, um, one, you know, I wrote the book with contemporary audiences in mind and contemporary Black people and the struggles of Black Lives Matter, defeating white supremacy, eradicating racism, um, transforming the criminal justice system, uh, decarcerating America where we take all the Black men and women who are in prison and um, put them back in communities uh, because really most of them have been unjustly placed in prison um, when we look at it. Um, and so I think about the way in which Malcolm's struggle for radical black dignity and Dr. King's struggle for radical black citizenship apply to the here and now. And mm -hmm. so I think that they would be organizing, uh, they would be organizing massive protests, um, they would be organizing civil disobedience I think they would be organizing in a lot of the fashion that we've seen. I think that obviously Dr. King was nonviolent, but as I show in the book, that doesn't mean he wasn't a revolutionary. King, mm. Malcolm is the boldest critic of white supremacy until King takes up the mantle after Malcolm's assassination. Right. So when, we look at, when we look at the book, you really see the way in which King pulls Malcolm's coat to voting rights, and the idea that the grassroots might be able to change these democratic institutions. But Malcolm King pull, pulls King's coat to the depth and breadth of racism and white supremacy. Um, this is a really exceedingly sick society. We see it with the murders of Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and George Floyd. But the criminal justice system, Michael, is just the tip of the iceberg. And Malcolm knew this. King eventually gets to know it. Malcolm knew it because his father had been murdered by white supremacists in Lansing, Michigan in 1931. So right. Malcolm, like so many African-Americans, so many black people, I'll say, faces racial trauma at an early age. His mother, Louise uh, Norton Little, is institutionalized at a psychiatric hospital. So many of us face uh, mental illness and trauma because of white supremacist, anti-black racist violence. So he's coming from that background He's shuttled in foster homes uh, for a few years. And then at 15, he goes and lives with his half-sister, Ella Mae Collins. And Ella, who becomes part of the Nation of Islam, she's a hustler in Boston. She's a hustler in Roxbury, right? And so he becomes part of that hustling life. And it's those structures of white supremacy that push you into hustling because you can't find a vocation. You can't mm -hmm. find a job. You can't get an education because of Jim Crow segregation and racial terror. Right. And so right. Malcolm served 76 months in prison, three different facilities, and he joins the Nation of Islam. But we have to connect him joining the Nation of Islam with his father being a Garveyite. Uh, Marcus Mosiah Garvey is the head of the largest black mass mobilization in, in world history. Three to five million people are part of the Universal Negro Improvement Association across several continents and the Caribbean. 
It's in the United States, in Africa, in Canada, in South America, in Latin America. That's right. what Garveyism is, and that's radical Black political self-determination, both entrepreneurially, but also as a radical social movement. Black women are a big part of Garveyism, and Malcolm's politics are coming from that. The Nation of Islam is an offshoot of Garveyism after Garvey is deported and eventually is, um, uh, he, he dies. They never let him come back to Jamaica uh, uh, in 1940. But the movement continues. And so the Nation of Islam is actually an offshoot. Uh, Honorable Elijah Muhammad was a Garveyite, okay? And so when we think about the Nation of Islam, it is black nationalism, but it's black nationalism under the whole idea of a, a, a different rendition of the Islamic faith. Malcolm X was always a Muslim. Just because he was part of the Nation of Islam doesn't mean he was not a Muslim. So he doesn't just become a Muslim in 1964. You've got to respect people's religion. I grew up in New York City. Some people were five percenters. Some people were Nation of Islam. Some people were Baptists like me. Some people were Protestant Catholics. You can't say just because they are in a smaller sect that has its own interpretation of the religion with Elijah Muhammad as the messenger, W.D. Farad as a living remnant of God himself. We can't say that they're not Muslim. So Malcolm X was always a Muslim starting in 1949, 1950. So he's a Muslim uh, or Muslim for 16 years. And so when we think about Malcolm, Malcolm was in the belly of the beast as a prisoner. So he was organizing prison activism while a Muslim. So when we think about Malcolm X, he understood um, even before he's paroled from prison, August 7th, 1952, that the United States was this searing racial wilderness. He, he always says that. And when we think about what's going on today, Malcolm talked about black dignity connected to African liberation, connected to third world liberation. He was anti-colonial, but again, he was anti-white supremacy. So I say in the book that Malcolm X was black America's prosecuting attorney because he charged white America with a series of crimes against black people dating back to racial slavery. Okay, and so when we think about racial slavery, that sets up this racial caste system, this supply chain of grief, misery, premature death for black people, but a supply chain of wealth and privilege based on the super exploitation, the degradation of black lives for white people. And white people and black people are still uh, enmeshed in that racial caste today. And everybody in between gets access to the worst part of the caste or the higher part of the caste based on their skin color and whether or not they can pass for white or they have to be relegated to black, right? So mm -hmm. when we think about Malcolm X, I mean, Malcolm would be, um, you know, a fierce critic of, of the, the racist criminal justice system. But this, the, the George Floyd protests are not just about the criminal justice system. They're about the criminal justice system as a gateway to panoramic systems of racial and economic oppression, injustice, um, uh, you know, war, violence, uh, just criminality that's stemming um, from a long, long history. And once Dr. King really gets hit to that history, he had read about it, but it's really Watts and, and Harlem that makes him be about it in a big way, where he's going to do the anti-poverty, anti-imperialism. He starts to rightfully say that the chaos happening in the, in the United States is, is produced by white racism, is produced by white people and white supremacy, right? Mm. Uh, he says Congress is running, the halls of Congress are running wild with racism. He's saying white people to the American Psychological Association in 1967 um, 
they, they're the ones producing the chaos. They're the ones producing the violence. And then they're making the claim that if there were no violence or chaos, there would be peace. You're tuned in to the thinking giving voice to issues that matter to you. Congratulations to Pastor Michael Nimmons for over 20,000 streams and downloads. Rate, review, and subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Radio.com, and MichaelNimmons.com. Tune in today. The Thinking Out Loud radio show. Giving voice to issues that matter to you. Minneapolis, Minnesota to London, England, from New Zealand to New York City. Black Lives Matter and I Can't Breathe are the sentiment of people around the world. Dr. King was right. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We must do everything we can to continue to march, protest, and rally for justice. Let us march on until victory is won. An important message from the Thinking Out Loud radio show. You're listening to the Thinking Out Loud radio show with Pastor Michael Nimmons. Don't you dare touch that dial. I hope you're enjoying part one of our interview with noted scholar, author, and professor, Dr. Peniel Joseph. Let's get back into this thought-provoking and powerful interview. Absolutely. And, and, you know, in listening to you, uh, I definitely see how you, you know, have, 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 have uh, investigated the life of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King. And, and, and you can see that and even hear it, as I said, talking to you about how I internalized this book differently as I, as I did with uh, listening to it instead of reading it. Mm-hmm. And um, there were parts of it uh, where you were describing some of the uh, riots that took place uh, back in the 60s, and it almost appeared as if um, you were describing something that was happening yesterday or happening today, and uh, you know, in lieu of what's been going on uh, because of 
the George Floyd protests that have been taking, taking place, not just around the country, but even around the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I would call them, Michael, um, rebellions. I'd say they're mass demonstrations, they're political rebellions. Um, riots are, you know, ideologically loaded words that conservatives use. Federal government used to call them civil disturbances. But much of the violence that we've seen has been police violence against demonstrators, right? right? right. It's been police violence against demonstrators, sometimes white supremacist agents, provocateurs. Uh, we know there was Russian hacking in the 2016 election, uh, people trying to be violent who are right-wingers who dress up as Antifa or Black Lives Matter. We've seen the videos of brothers trying to stop white, white anarchists or white um, troublemakers from smashing windows, destroying property. Uh, the, the, the mass uprising has really been, um, by and large, peaceful, but people are going to focus on the violence to try to um, create more state-sanctioned repression uh, and criminalization against Black people. Right, right. And as a follow-up question to my first question regarding what Malcolm and Martin would be doing um, as it relates to uh, these, these protests, these massive protests that have been taking place, you know, I know in your book, you, you kind of talked about them, you know, you talked about them separately, but you also talked about them uh, together. Um, you know, in this, in this moment, if they were uh, yet alive, do you think they would be working together? Um, oh, you know? yeah, no, absolutely. And I think you'd need them both because you need to organize, educate, and agitate, you know? And Malcolm could definitely cool the heads off of people who are thinking you need violence because Malcolm knew that, yeah, Black people had the right to self-defense, but they didn't necessarily have the arms or the training or the military to combat even the military and the law enforcement in 1964, 63, let alone 2020, right? right? So, right. so certainly in a discreet way, yeah, you have the right to defend yourself, but you know, you're not gonna win, um, you know, you, you know, you're not gonna win the, the, the right to, um, you know, you're not gonna win your citizenship rights by, um, you know, you're not gonna win your citizenship rights by pretending that you can win some kind of civil war uh, or race war in the United States, right? And in fact, what, what the right wing has always wanted that kind of race war and civil war dating back to the Klan in the 19th century, because they knew they had the arms, they had the power to, in, in that kind of conflict, obliterate African-Americans. And you see aspects of that in the racial pogroms and the racial massacres. Uh, we just celebrate, commemorated the 99th uh, anniversary of Tulsa, Oklahoma, but it's not just Tulsa. Tulsa is the biggest, but it's Rosewood, Florida. It's Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's East St. Louis. It's Elaine, Arkansas. It's Chicago. It's Atlanta. It's um, South Carolina, New Orleans, Mississippi. We have a whole litany of racial massacres that happened against Black people in the 19th and the, and the 20th century. Um, when, when many Black people were, were forced to fight back they had shotguns, they had rifles, but they were outnumbered, right? And so right, right now, I don't think either of them would be um, pushing for, for violence, but they would be organizing to try to leverage uh, civil disobedience and mass protests to uh, transform the levers of power. Right, right, right. I know you guys are enjoying our conversation with uh, professor and author 
Dr. Joseph, Dr. Peniel Joseph. We're so very happy to have him on Thinking Out Loud radio show and TV show with us on today. We're talking about uh, his um, latest book, The Sword and the Shield, The Revolutionary uh, Life of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. And again, a great book. We highly recommend that you go out and read it. Um, it is one that um, I, I, I've gained a lot from. Um, Dr. Dr. Joseph, you know, uh, in the book you talk about, you know, there are a lot of books, rather, that uh, have been written about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X separately. Uh, yes. you, 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 you decided to write a book about them both together. Yeah. Um, I want you to tell our listeners more about why uh, you decided to do that and, and, and how they play off of each other in your book. Yeah, there, you know, I think there's really three significant books that do it. The first one was uh, Louis Lomax in 1968 called To Kill a Black Man. Mm. Uh, he was a friend of Malcolm X. He's a black journalist who knew Malcolm. He looks at Malcolm and King's assassinations. Uh, he was killed in a car accident in 1969. The next one is James Cone's uh, Martin and Malcolm, American Dream versus Nightmare, which came out around 1989, 1990. Um, and that's a, that's, a, that's a terrific book. I think both of those books, though, looked at Dr. King and Malcolm as real divergent, right? You know, um, as, as in, in they, they, their framework was, was um, like, hey, these cats are opposites, right? Um, Maybe they had similarities, but much, you know, they're opposites. I, I come at it a different way. And that's why I say the revolutionary lives. I think you need, you don't have to be team Malcolm or team Martin. I think you should be both, you know? So I think the black community needs both. I think that King is much more revolutionary and radical than the public perceives him to be. And I think Malcolm is, is a much more um, brilliant and, and, and um, courageous individual who can be radically pragmatic and revolutionarily pragmatic to save black lives while trying to defeat white supremacy than people give him credit for. So um, that's why I try to show Malcolm is absolutely this prosecuting attorney, but he's also black America's statesman too. He's going to the Middle East, he's going to Africa, um, he's schooling the young Cassius Clay before he's Muhammad Ali on what Africa means, you know, what his identity means. So. I think I put them together because I thought there was much more convergence than divergence. And I think when you frame them the other way, you hurt um, understanding of the movement. Mm, right. You know, looking at them, one as Dr. King being the, the traditional one that people view as nonviolent and, and Malcolm X being the one that, that is, is, is typically viewed as the violent one or the- Exactly. Right. You know, exactly. by any means necessary. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, again, uh, a great book, and we truly uh, recommend you go out and read it. Um, you know, another question I have for you, um, I've, I've studied, you know, Dr. King and Malcolm X, but Dr. King is definitely one that uh, I, you know, have uh, studied all my life as an adolescent. I remember listening to a lot of his speeches and, and reading his books. Uh, I loved his mannerisms, his oratory, and um, I remember uh, even, uh, you know, reciting speeches in school and whatnot, you know, but um, my question deals with um, Dr. King as the womanizer. And mm -hmm. that is, and that is, is something that I'm not sure a lot of people are aware of uh, when you talk about his legacy. Um, you talk about it in your book, 
Uh, yeah. The first time I the first time I was made aware of that was when I was in college and I read Dr. Michael Eric Dyson's book. I may yeah. not get there with you. Yes. Yeah. And um, I was really I mean, it was like a, a, a blow to my heart because I've always viewed him as someone that was morally, you yeah. know, pure. And yeah. and and uh, and so my question to you, uh, Dr. Uh, Joseph, is, you know, why 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 um, why should we discuss that part of or that aspect of his life? Um, and does that do harm to his legacy overall? Yeah. Well, no, I don't think it does harm to his legacy. You know, I, I mention it in the context of um, FBI surveillance and how they tried to blackmail him, but I certainly don't dwell on it. Right. And so I think that it's important to know that these were black men who were under all these pressures. At times they made mistakes. You know, I mentioned that, hey, Malcolm had a strained marriage, you know, the relationship with, with Betty. He's on the road a lot. But I'm not trying to get and, um, into, in, into some kind of gossipy details or something. Um, but it's, I, I don't think it takes away because, you know, the FBI was surveilling uh, Dr. King. You can have high political moralities and make mistakes in your personal life. Uh, Malcolm was a former convict, but in his personal life, he had vowed to be, you know, the most upstanding member of the Nation of Islam ever. And he, he fulfilled that, you know. Right. Um, right. But it doesn't necessarily mean his, his personal life was any much more happier than Dr. King's, right? I mean, these are, these are 100% movement men, you know, like the sacrifice in a lot of ways becomes their families. You know, Malcolm left four children living behind. Betty was pregnant with twins, so he ends up with six girls, um, two who never meet him. Um, King had four children, so they had 10 children between them, um, and both the widows, uh, uh, Dr. Betty Shabazz and and, you know, really Dr. Coretta Scott King, um, they are left bereft and they're looking to try to make money. They're looking to try to um, feed their families and they're looking to try to educate their children, right? So one of the things you see is there's a high price for that kind of commitment. So they gave their lives to the people um, and neither Malcolm nor Martin um, lived to see the, their 40th birthdays. And as somebody who's live to see past this 40th, I can tell you how I realize, and as a father, how still a lifespan they both live. This is Michael Eric Dyson, and when I'm in Detroit, I listen to the Thinking Out Loud radio show, dropping that knowledge, giving that inspiration, giving us that enlightenment. Nobody does it like Brother Michael does it. Do your thing. Holla. Peace. Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you. Author and speaker, Dr. Eddie Connor. I, I was reading something the other day, and it's, it's interesting. Uh, it's been 50 years since uh, Dr. King was killed. 50 years later, they're still killing kings, you know, uh, to, to really speak truth to power, but also to... to speak to our young men about uh, police brutality, but also the whole spectrum that in many cases they live in the crosshairs of society. And we can give them all the, the tips, tools, and things of the trade of how to govern yourself accordingly. But we see young men all across America, and we, you know, uh, in many cases we just become desensitized to a young man who is shot and killed because the police were threatened by the fact that he pulled something out of his pocket and it was a phone 
when they thought it was a gun. Practitioner and spokesperson, Dr. Victoria Dooley. I do feel strongly that as the African-American community and the church, we need to take mental illness more seriously, and we need to make it okay for somebody to seek out health care for mental health issues other than prayer. Absolutely, 100%. Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist, Rochelle Riley. Uh, I, I can tell you, and before we leave uh, Ali, let me tell you that it wasn't just an interview with him, but my very first column called for the city of Louisville to have a museum for him because at that time there was nothing bearing his name except a little strip of street, you know, how it works in some cities where Martin Luther King Boulevard is in a part of town, but in the rest of the town it's named something else. That column ran and the mayor and other folks who knew better and who were embarrassed by it said, okay, it's time. And that helped lead to this effort that had been going on for some time to raise $80 million to build the Muhammad Ali Center, which now exists on the banks of the Ohio River. We bring you the best minds who deliver their best thoughts only on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. should be the next book you purchase. Written by radio host and minister, Michael Nimmons. Vision is an insightful, thought-provoking book that is also a helpful tool in getting you to see your life through God's eyes. Vision Endorsed by best-selling authors Dr. Eddie Connor and Kim Brooks and mega-pastor Bishop Charles H. Ellis III. Vision is a life-changing book that you need in your personal library. Get your copy today. Available everywhere books are sold online or at michaelnimmons.com. Get your copy today. Vision. Vision. Stay tuned for more motivation, more inspiration, and more empowerment on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked. I hope you enjoyed part one of our interview with noted scholar, author, and professor, Dr. Peniel Joseph. Let's hear the conclusion of part one of this powerful and thought-provoking interview. Right, right. And, and um, But you also look at all that they were able to accomplish. Yeah. You know, before... They, you know, even given the fact that they did not make it to their 40th birthday, but, but they, but they, it was like they hit the ground running. Yes. After, after Malcolm left, well, was paroled and he left prison, you know, he left there with, um, you know, motivation and, and, and a desire to, to change the world. And the same with Dr. King at 15, you know, graduate of Morehouse College and, 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 and already thinking about how he's going to impact the world around him. And so, yes, they did die young, but they did accomplish uh, a great deal. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think um, it's important for us to understand that 
you know, their assassinations are for a reason. They're leading these political revolutions and there's real fear of what they might do um, as the 1960s um, progress, right? And what right. they may accomplish as right. the 1960s progress. So King is assassinated right before leading a poor people's march and he's right. in Memphis, Tennessee and he's assassinated helping 1100 sanitation workers. And Malcolm is assassinated really while he's doing all this um, diplomacy and getting involved in the civil rights movement and getting involved with trying to, um, really there's a black power movement that's happening even while Malcolm is alive, even though we date it with Stokely Carmichael, Kwame Ture, 66. So he's really trying to get those two wings of the black freedom struggle together and he's assassinated. So um, it, it's very important to understand the, the kind of threat that they represented to this, to this really um, uh, cruel system that they were opposed to. Right. Absolutely. I know you guys are enjoying our interview with Dr. Jo Dr. Peniel Joseph. I'm so happy to have him on the Thinking Out Loud radio and TV show. We're just talking about his newest book, The Sword and Shield, The Revolutionary yeah. Lives of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's right. <laughs> get your copy, guys. Get your copy. Now, Dr. I, Dr. Joseph, I got to get my hard copy, and uh, I would love for you to, to, to sign it for oh, me. Oh, yeah, well. absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to get a copy. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy it on Amazon, and I have to uh, get it, uh, mail it to you so I can get a copy, get a, get a signed copy. Oh, yeah, it. absolutely. But absolutely. definitely I uh, want to do that. I've been collecting uh, uh, books with, with signatures. I have a few of Dr. Dyson's. and you know, Oh, yeah. Wanna, I just uh, did a yeah. podcast with Dr. Dyson. Dr. Dyson's a great friend. Yeah, absolutely. It was a tweet from him that uh, actually inspired me to actually get the book. And so... Oh, um, I have to give him a shout out on the show. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so uh, continuing with our discussion on the night, I want to ask you, you know, kind of in the same vein of what uh, Dr. King or Malcolm X would think of, um, you know, in this moment, um, you know, uh, it's, it's been about 11 years um, since the nation uh, first elected this its first African-American president. Yeah. Um, you know, your book talks a lot about the 60s and how um, Black people were struggling for and fighting for equality and justice uh, during that time. And, and Malcolm X and Dr. King were a big part of that, uh, that, that, that struggle for equality. What do you think they would say about our nation electing its first African-American president? And what rating do you think they would give him for his presidency? Well, I mean, I think, I think Malcolm and, and King would be able to see that on some levels there was a kind of um, symbolic racial progress of electing a, a, a black president. I think that um, on some levels they'd be surprised because it seemed like that wasn't going to happen. Um, mm. he's, you know, he was elected 12 years ago. I think right. then they would look at the policies. So I think that, you know, the grade is, is, a, is a mixed grade because, you know, Obama tried to do some things for... Uh, black America, and there were some good things that the Justice Department did under Eric Holder and Loretta Lynch. Um, there were some good things that happened with the stimulus package. Um, by 2015, 16, the last couple of years in office, he spoke more, more forthrightly about racism, um, certainly than he had before. But um, by and large, Black people in a policy sense didn't really do um, that well during that time. And I think it's not necessarily just about Obama, it's about the p 
political and economic system we're in, in terms of uh, racial capitalism that, that really exploits uh, black bodies and black labor and, and exploits their, takes, takes wealth from, from us, our very beings, including those of us who are in prison, incarcerated, those of us who are poor, um, those of us who are killed and murdered, um, they extract value from us that we don't approve for ourselves. So you, you extract value by criminalizing black people, by making white folks fearful of them and saying, here's what, here's what you need to give me. You need to give me the power and money to protect you from them, right? So in a lot of ways, white wealth, white privilege um, is all based on black subordination and black misery and black death in this country policy-wise, institutional-wise, wealth redistribution, the, uh, the, the seizure of African-American land historically. Ta-Nehisi Coates has talked about that in the case for reparations. So there, there's, you know, there's a lot, you know, and I think Obama, at times the community got mesmerized because they were so, you know, the, the, the most positive benefit is probably the psychological benefit that accrued to seeing a black man, beautiful black woman, um, in the White House um, who, who were not, they weren't Clarence Thomas. They weren't rejecting us, right? Right. They weren't, they, weren't, they weren't saying that we don't matter. So I think that became, coupled with the, the racism that they experienced from the Tea Party, from Donald Trump, the birther movement, right. um, from all the white supremacists, it made us want to really defend the Obamas. You know, I've had an opportunity to meet Michelle Obama. I've taught her book, Becoming. So I admire the Obamas, but in a policy sense, not enough was done. Um, not enough was done to to aid the black community. There was no black agenda per se, right? You know. Right. So when you don't have that agenda, we we lose out because everybody else has an agenda. Right, and 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 that would be you know that would be part of my critique of his of his presidency as well. You know. Um, I think we were expecting. Um, well, I'm not going to say we, but let, let me let me let me do it this way. A lot of a lot of black people were expecting their first the first African American president to kind of be their quote unquote savior in the White House. He would come in and 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 he would um, give us uh, a lot of the things that we have been looking for, you know, reparations, uh, and uh, he would you know, put the, put the white man in his place and all those kinds of things. And, and he would be more defiant. And, 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 and we never saw that Obama didn't even run uh, for president as the black candidate. Yeah. Um, he understood that if he did, then he would, I think, eliminate or, or, or narrow his, his demographic when it came to yeah. the people that were going to vote for him. Uh, he understood that he had to be America's president uh, before he was Black America's president, um, I did think though that his that he would be the blackest or the or, or blacker president in his second term. Um, and yeah, and I think he was though. I think he was, especially. I mean, once they lost the um, 2014 Senate, um, right. he definitely you know w was was better on that score. Yeah, right, yeah. and. Um, I read uh, Dr. Dyson's book, The Black President. Yeah, yeah, I, I yeah. teach that. And he yeah. was very, he was, uh, uh, this is a conversation I wanted to have with him as well because, you know, I, I really felt like he was really, 
his critique of Obama was was kind of unfair in a sense because he was the first. Whenever you're well, first, you know, I, I thought you know I thought um, Dr. Dyson's critique was um, I thought it was fair. You know, I thought it was a fair critique because I think that okay. um, Obama people elected him, black people, to definitely alleviate our suffering, our collective suffering, mass right. incarceration, um, poverty. Uh, police violence and terror, but also structural violence against us. Um, kids who are disproportionately diagnosed with asthma, you know, um, young folks who've got HIV in places like Washington, D.C., who are being sexually trafficked, domestic violence and abuse, Black women heading single-family households right below the poverty line, below the poverty line, but also right above just struggling, disproportionate homelessness, disproportionate lack of healthcare, lack of social security, lack of elder care, lack of child care. There's a lot, there's a lot there, you know? And so, um, you know, we had a right to expect more. And I think Dr. Dyson is very much um, fair because he admires Barack Obama. I admire Barack Obama, I admire Michelle Obama. But you can't, you can't if you're black, you can't allow your admiration for black people who are trying to do good to prevent you from having a, criti a critique of their shortcomings. It can right. be a loving critique, but I thought when I read that book that that was a loving critique. You know, he talked about where Obama did well, but he also talked about the shortcomings. And I think part of the problem in having the first black president was that we were disallowed from both critiquing him and having a black agenda. And at the end of the day, that really hurt us because voter suppression happened, so much stuff happened, so then you go from Obama to Trump, and mm -hmm. we're in an even deeper mess. And certainly, um, if we had gotten more from that administration, perhaps we could have organized enough to not have this current president. Don't, 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 don't touch that dial. It's a Thinking Out Loud radio show. We'll be right back. I know times are tough. We have a lot going on right now. This is uncharted territory. But remember, God is still in control. I'm radio host Michael Nemers with a word of encouragement just for you. We're going to get through this together. Let's remember those who are on the front lines tackling this virus head on. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. You are the real heroes. And to those who've lost loved ones because of the virus, we are still yet praying for you. Those who tested positive for the virus, this is not your end. You are going to get through this. We are going to get through this. Let's do what we can to stay positive, stay connected, stay home, stay healthy, and most importantly, stay safe. An important message from the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Giving voice to issues that matter to you. What's cracking Planet Earth? It's your boy Griff, comedian, author, motivational speaker, entrepreneur, philanthropist, but a Jesus Christ 
lover. You understand me? And you're listening to Thinking Out Loud Radio with my homeboy, Michael Nemes. Check him out right here. Go ahead, Mike. Give him that good, good. The Thinking Out Loud Radio Show. Giving voice to issues that matter to you. Vision should be the next book you purchase. Written by radio host and minister Michael Nimitz. Vision is an insightful, thought-provoking book that is also a helpful tool in getting you to see your life through God's eyes. Vision Endorsed by best-selling authors Dr. Eddie Connor and Kim Brooks and mega-pastor Bishop Charles H. Ellis III. Vision is a life-changing book that you need in your personal library. Get your copy today. Available everywhere books are sold online or at michaelnimmons.com. Get your copy today. Vision. Vision. Stay tuned for more motivation, more inspiration, and more empowerment on the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Keep it locked. Tonight marks the 21st consecutive day of protests after the brutal murder of George Floyd at the hands of four racist police officers. The people have spoken with demonstrations and protests not just from cities and states from across this country but from literally around the world. I have seen video on social media from protests taking place as far as Berlin, Germany where protesters are shouting Black Lives Matter. This coming from the same place where racist Nazi dictator Adolf Hitler doomed thousands of Jews to an imminent death during the Holocaust. But today is definitely a new day. A day the likes of which we've never seen before. Before today, black people were wondering, is this country tone deaf to our cries and concerns as a community? Before today, the black community was wondering if anyone cared about black lives as much as we do. And today we found out and discovered that millions around the world care about the plight of black people. In fact, the words of John Don, the poet, ring true today more than ever and speaks to the tremendous outcry of people from all races, creeds, and ethnicities. No man is an island entire of himself. Every man is a part of the continent, a part of the main. For man dies, it diminishes me because I am involved in mankind. Therefore, never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. What affects one directly affects us all indirectly. I cannot be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be and vice versa. In other words, all lives do not matter until black lives matter. And it is from within these poetic words of John Donne that we see the sentiment of millions of people across all ethnic boundaries declaring unequivocally that if black lives do not matter, then my life and our life does not matter. Dr. King said in a speech that we're all tied together in a single garment of destiny. 
This is why every black life should matter to all people. And what these protests have shown is that black lives do not and should not just matter to black people, but they should matter to all people. And to those who will try to propagate the misnomer that all lives matter includes black lives and therefore we shouldn't isolate one race over the other. This is not the objective of the Black Lives Matter movement. It is not the purpose or the mission of the Black Lives Matter movement to put black lives above all other people. No one understands this better than black America that we all need each other. But the purpose of the Black Lives Matter movement is to bring awareness to the important significance of black life in the same way white life and brown life and yellow life matter. Black lives matter too. Not more, but black lives matter too. There's some who would even like you to think that George Floyd's life didn't matter as much as or isn't as important as the attention he seemed to have gotten after his death. And some have even tried to suggest that because of his past crimes and past mistakes, he's not worthy of the martyrdom that's been given to him after his untimely demise. To them I say, he didn't choose his fate. This was the fate that was given to him at the hands of the crooked police officer Derek Chauvin, who despite George Floyd's cries and pleas of I can't breathe and his calls for his deceased mother, Chauvin took his life while three other officers were complicit in this black man's undoing. And when they were done, they dragged his lifeless body onto a gurney and left the scene without giving his life a second thought. But what they didn't believe nor could they comprehend is that they unwittingly sparked a global movement that has now moved this country to the brink of bringing about the real change that the black community has long been searching for. Those four officers were the catalyst to a revolution that bears the name of a man who they didn't think his life mattered, but millions of other people did. A man who they didn't believe deserved the decency of CPR, but millions of other people believe he did. A man who they thought would be forgotten by the end of their shift, but millions of other people are shouting his name in parts of the world that he never knew. A life that they thought they would never be held accountable for, but millions of other people believe that they should. So today, black America has reached a tipping point. America has reached a tipping point. And dare I say, the world has reached a tipping point. And no longer can we sit idly by and watch another life be taken at the hands of the police without swift and severe consequences. No longer can we sit idly by and let another life be desecrated at the hands of racist, militarized police. But today is the day we march together, we protest together, we stand together, we pray together, we rally together for justice for George Floyd, for Ahmaud Arbery, for Breonna Taylor, for Tamir Rice, for Botham Shimjean, for Sandra Bland, for Eric Garner, for Philando Castillo, for Trayvon Martin, for many of the nameless and faceless victims of this deadly virus of police brutality that has been plaguing our community for years now. It is now up to us to make sure that their deaths were not in vain. It's up to us to ensure that their lives are remembered as martyrs of our struggle for justice. We cannot stop. We cannot quit. We cannot give up. We must march on till victory is won.
Well, we want to thank you for tuning in to tonight's show. We truly, truly appreciate it. Uh, this is just part one of this amazing interview we had with noted author and professor Dr. Peniel Joseph uh, in his book, The Sword and the Shield, The uh, Revolutionary Lives of Malcolm X and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And if Dr. Joseph is listening on tonight, I want to send a special shout out to him. Thank you, sir, for extending us the opportunity to interview you for our show. We truly appreciate it. And we highly recommend the book, The Sword and the Shield, a powerful book. For those of you are looking for a good book to read during this uh, time of quarantine, uh, I highly recommend you go out and purchase this book. I'm sure you're going to love it. Tune in next week, guys. We're going to have part two of uh, this amazing interview again with Dr. Uh, Peniel Joseph and his book, The Sword and the Shield. Tune in next week. We're going to have the powerful conclusion of our interview. You don't want to miss it. Remember to follow us on all the social media. Facebook.com forward slash Thinking Out Loud Radio Show is our Facebook fan page. Uh, add us at uh, on Instagram and Twitter at uh, TOL Radio Host MSN or TOL Radio Show. Or send us an email at contact at michaelnimmons.com. Or just drop by our website at michaelnimmons.com and leave us a comment right from our official show page. We would love to hear from you guys. A lot of ways to keep in touch with us. Uh, remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Your support helps us to increase our exposure across the world wide web. Well, until next week and until next time, always remember, if you think it, you can believe it. If you can believe it, you can see it. If you can see it, you can be it. If you can be it, you can achieve it. The power rests within you. The mind is the most powerful muscle in your body. Use what you got to get what you want. The power is in you. It's the Thinking Out Loud radio show. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. To get more info about the show and the ministry, visit michaelnemons.com. Want to book radio host Michael Nemons for your next special event? Send an email to contact at michaelnemons.com. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 p.m. for the Thinking Out Loud radio show, giving voice to issues that matter to you.